Hello and welcome to the Legal Edition. I'm your host, Attorney Mary Kay Loyan. Our show topic today, election security, securing the vote while securing the system. Our guest is Bruce Schneier. He's an internationally renowned security technologist and a New York Times bestselling author. He is also a fellow at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University and a lecturer in public policy at Harvard Kennedy School. Let's welcome Bruce Schneier. Welcome, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Do you believe the, the 2020 presidential election was secure? What's your so opinion? it seems like it was. I mean, you know, we don't know. A lot of things happened behind the scenes. In 2018, U.S. Cyber Command ran some offensive operation against uh, Russia and disrupted some operation in progress. We don't know what it was. We think it has something to do with the reporting and the results, not actually changing the votes, but changing the way it was reported. And we don't know if anything similar happened this year. Uh, we know that uh, Department of Homeland Security said yesterday this was one of the most secure election. It seems like nothing happened. Certainly nothing obvious happened. And we were concerned about a lot of different things, right? chaos at the polls because uh, voting rolls were deleted, machines not working, machines flipping votes, tallies not being tallied. None of that happened. So it seems like, yes, this was a secure election, and we don't know whether it was because those who want to attack it didn't bother or because the U.S. government, the military, was good at defending. You know, we, we might find out over the next couple of years as things leak, as I hear things and hearsay. But yes, we had a secure election. It's kind of amazing. And this year, they used what you have referred to as the gold standard, the paper ballot. Now, not everybody. There's more paper ballots than before. You know, so the history is, after, 20, after 2000, the Help America Vote Act was supposed to modernize machines and modernize voting systems. And the machines that a lot of states bought were these touchscreen machines, like uh, ATM machines. And those are vulnerable, insecure, can't be audited because there's no paper, there's no audit trail. More systems are moving towards paper ballots. Uh, Verifiedvoting.org is the organization that tracks this. You can see a map of who's voting on paper. I vote in Minnesota. So this is the gold standard, optical scan voting. I get a piece of paper that's my ballot. I fill in ovals. I walk to a machine, feed the paper in. I'm immediately told if I voted properly in that there's no undervote. So there is not an office I didn't vote for and no overvote, no place I voted twice. If there's an overvote undervote, the machine beeps. It offers me my ballot back to fix. I can say, Never mind, I want it that way, because there might be uh, down-ballot races I don't care about. You know, there might be things I don't vote for. So you get a quick tally from the optical scan reader, and then the paper ballot drops into a box, which is available for recounts. So do you yeah. actually see that? You I see that process. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feed color. it into the machine. It's kind of neat. The machine's right there, and I feed it when I'm done voting. I take my piece of paper, it's in a folder so no one else can see it. Then I just feed it right into the machine. It beeps, you, you vote correct properly, I get my little sticker, and I leave. 
And that'll happen if I vote on election day or if I vote early. The same thing happens. If I vote by mail, of course, someone else does the feeding for me, and there's no opportunity for me to correct my, my ballot. So right, doesn't work great. For, doesn't work as good for by mail voting. But that really is the gold standard. And more Americans are voting that way than before. We still have some touchscreen machines. I think Pennsylvania is about half touchscreen, but half not. So we're getting better. Yeah, there was some controversy about those touchscreen machines in the past. Uh, has that been rectified? You know, so they're inherently vulnerable because there's no, there's no paper audit trail. Because if there is something that happens in the machine, we'll, we, we can't fix it. Now, there have been errors, which don't seem to be enemy action. It seems to be just errors. So there's a local election where we opened the machine, and, the, and there were, like, votes for all for one candidate, zero for the other. And this was the, the machine that the other candidate voted in, so we know it can't be right. Or once there was like a negative number of votes, right? Some kind of glitches in the machine. Those seem to be errors, but we worry about them from a security perspective because if they're tampered with, you would never know, right? There's no paper backup. And we are seeing, it's anecdotal, but sometimes the screens are old, which means when you, and you know this if you have a touchscreen computer. After a few years, it's not that accurate where you press. And there were stories, anecdotal, of you pressing on one candidate and you get the other. Just because the screen itself is, is old and it gets you know, thousands of presses during the day and something happens. It's not great technology. We really don't want to vote touchscreen. Um, is anybody currently using those old type screens? Have you seen any of that? There are there are states that use them. Again, verifiedvoting.org is the website that has the map of exactly who votes on what machine. I don't remember the details, but yes, those machines are still in use. Well, when the voter uses those machines and they're pressing the button, and they can they see that it's not tallying the right person that they're voting for at that moment? They can't see anything. All they can see is what the screen shows them. I mean, when you type things into your computer, do you know what happens inside the machine? You have no freaking clue. You see what's on the screen. You hope what's on the screen is what happens in, in the machine. But if the machine is hacked, I mean, we see this in, in banking hacks, right? I mean, I'm going to do a bank transfer. I type in the account I want to send to. There's some uh, malware in the machine that shows me what I want to see but sends the bank a different account number, right? I have no way of knowing. And that's the problem uh, with computerized systems. So this paper ballot system that a lot of the states are using, that's the golden rule. Have, they're even complaining that those aren't accurate. There's, those tallies aren't accurate with the paper ballot. We've seen this from the Trump people. What do you say uh, about that? Yeah, but they likely are, but we can check. The thing about a paper ballot is you can audit it. So if they're not accurate, we have the paper. We will know. But it seems like, I mean, in my guess is like George is doing a recount, it'll change by a couple hundred votes, maybe. It's not going to reverse tens of thousands of votes. We've seen that in previous recounts. I, mean, I live in Minnesota. We had the great uh, Frank and Coleman recount. And I think like a dozen votes changed in the entire state after the recount. And those are the kinds of things you see with these systems. Mm -hmm. So my guess is, is you know, nothing was widespread. The anecdotes are easy, and, and they're often uh, wrong. 
data shows that that voting is accurate, which in some ways is sort of miraculous. It is. I mean, it, it kind of we should we should like pause and say like how amazing it is that Hard so many human beings can can vote in a way that works, and we learn the result in a week or so. I know we like to learn the result before we go to sleep at night, but you know now that it's no longer election day, it's election week or election month. It's a lot harder, and it's a good way to think about it. We have actually three different elections. There's election day, the one we're used to. There's early voting, which is what I did in Minnesota, which I went to machines uh, like two weeks before. Wholly different setup system, place to go, and then the mail-in system, which is a different set of procedures. So election officials are now running three different elections with different rules and different guidelines and different personnel requirements. And a lot of these people are, are volunteers, working part-time, not a lot of experience. It is amazing that we pull it off. It is. Now, again, I was listening to uh, television today, and they said that... Oh, that's your like, first mistake. <laughs> they, they said that uh, I, CNN reported that Georgia is going to be doing an audit. Uh, can you tell us how an audit works? So it depends on the state. But basically, so, so you basically it's do it again, but more carefully. Right? So Georgia, and I don't know how, what machines they had and how they worked, but they tallied everybody's votes somehow. Hopefully there's paper. And so if there's paper, they will go through every piece of paper again, run it through the machine, look at it to make sure that, it, that it's proper, to make sure the person is eligible to vote, to make sure the, the, that the, the, nothing was wrong. If it's a... Uh, Computerized machine, there's no recount. They just open the machine and get the same numbers out again. So you really can't do a recount. But they will, and they will just more carefully run that pyramid from individual machines to precincts to districts to the whole state and then come up with a final tally. And, and, and I will bet that the difference will be under 200 votes, any change, and likely less than that. If it is more than that, I'll be very, very surprised. Yeah, they said that it was like $14,000. Um, excuse me. They said it was 14,000 people uh, voted for Biden over Trump in the state of Georgia. Right. That was a, they, right, that's a margin of victory. And that's just, you know, we just don't have recounts that uh, flip that much. Our, our, our voting systems on Election Day and right after are more accurate than that. You, you're not going to see that margin flip. That's, that's really unlikely. Well, they said, if I, if I recall correctly, Georgia said they're going to hand count everything. And hand counting, I would assume, would be more inaccurate. Uh, that would be my guess, right, because people make mistakes. But it's going to be, I mean, there's, there's not going to be one person, you know, Trump, Trump, Biden, 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 Trump. Right? There's going to be like four people staring at each ballot. So there'll be enough checks, right? You're unlikely to see systemic errors. I mean, you know, when, you, when, when I alphabetize, uh, sometimes I just forget where, the, where, where one letter is and I put a different pile. That's not going to happen. It'll, it'll be a slow process. It's expensive. Probably not necessary, although if it increases the confidence of the voters, then we should do it, right? I mean, elections are not only about, about choosing the winner. They're about convincing the loser. And don't lose sight of that as an important value of elections, that in a democracy, the side that lost 
needs to believe they lost fairly. But you know, they, there's normally a belief that elections are fair and accurate. Now, uh, on that same vein, President Trump has been saying there's all kinds of conspiracies to get him out of office. That you know, dead people, all these dead people are on the voter rolls. Have you ever seen that anything like that, or in in your work, or? He's saying that there's absolutely no checks and balances here. No, I mean, we, he's, he's talking about old things. I mean, you know, when he grew up in New York, I grew up in New York also. He's older than I am, oh, grew so up in New York. In New York too. Right. There was a political machine that ensured the right people won. Back then, you could get away with controlling the voter rolls that way, controlling the vote that way. So New York, Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia. You know, those old cities that had party machines, that kind of fraud did happen. And, you know, the 1968 election, Illinois, was probably fraudulent because of that. In the, now, right now, you can't get away with that. You know, I, was, I remember stories from the 70s in New York about uh, party bosses buying votes, I mean, I mean, handing out cash and buying votes. And you do that now, you're going to get out. You're going to be videoed. You'll be on YouTube. It'll never work. So, so those sorts of things do not happen anymore. That kind of retail vote fraud. What we're concerned about is the wholesale election fraud, right? tampering with the machines, tampering with the systems, tampering with the tallies. That's what we're worried about. And that, seem, that is what seems not to have happened this year. What about the stories about the Russians hacking into state databases of Secretary of State databases? So that seems to have happened. It seems to have happened uh, in uh, 2016, 2018, and this year as well. We don't know a lot of details. The stories are very scant. I assume a lot of this is classified. But all the stories stress that no registrations actually change. So here's the fear, and this is what we worried about on Election Day, that Election Day starts, and a state that matters, let's say Michigan, the poll books don't work. Right? In the morning, everyone sets up, and the electronic poll books, the list of who's eligible to vote, the database is gone. It's corrupted. It's wiped clean. It's wiped clean. It's full of errors. Everybody's address is wrong. Make up your own horror story. Right? And the state just grinds to a halt. That didn't happen. Now, there have been changes in voting roll attacks. The, the one I know about, I believe it's California, and this was a primary, that some Republicans had their party affiliation changed to Democrats. They tried to vote in the Republican primary and were, or were unable to. Now, this seems not to be foreign interference. This is because the website where you just change your party affiliation, you go online and change your party affiliation, had no security. So someone changed the party affiliation of the supporters of you know, the, the, the primary candidate he didn't like. Right? So it's Republican versus Republican. It's a primary. But if you make your opponent's supporters Democrats, they can't vote. Right. So that seems to have happened. And uh, Professor Latanya Sweeney at Harvard, she has looked into the security of, of, of that system, she, the changing of address, changing of party affiliation, and found that in many states, it's not very secure. Now, that seems not to have happened in this election. At any scale, right? We've we really read no news reports about that. But those are the sorts of things we worry about. And so we do see this probing. The US government has talked about it openly, has admitted it. But it seems like 
nothing has been done with it. Now, we can ask why. Why are they bothering? We don't know. Well, I know your own senator, Senator Amy Klobuchar, had introduced a bill uh, for election security, and nothing happened to it, and it's still sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. Well, election security is now a partisan uh, activity. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Of course not. I mean, they are getting people to vote should be something democracy wants to do. You know, I mean, from my perspective, I think we need more federal involvement. I mean, the problem we have is we don't have one election. We have 51 different elections, all with different rules, all with different security. And, you know, some election official in Akron, Ohio versus the government of Russia is not a fair fight. No. Right? It's just not a fair fight. So the more we can have federal standards on poll books, on voting machines, on recount systems, on you know, el eligibility requirements, the more you can federalize this, the safer we will be because the threats are now national. They're not local. That's hard to do. Right? Constitutionally, the elections are local. Uh, right. I, th the way to th I think the way to solve this is the same way you solve the 55 mile hour speed limit, right? The federal government was not able to set the speed limit, but they said, look, look, you state, if you want federal highway money, if you want the money, you will, right, you will impose the speed limit. I think everybody but, Mon but Montana did. So you can do the same thing, you know, right? The federal government says we have all of this money available for election infrastructure, voting machines, for training, for, for data, you know, or for everything. And if you, you state want a piece of it, you have to abide by these national guidelines that, yes, are optional, but, are, you know, but the money is contingent on them. And then we would be much more secure. Right. Now, what are your thoughts on mail-in voting? Um, that should be, you know, paper, should be traceable, uh, easy to uh, cross-check. However, in this election, we have a plant at the post office you know, slowing down the mail. We have uh, DeJoy slowing down the mail. That was a big contention in this election. That was. It was a surprise, right? Who, who you know, I, I, funny, I'm teaching a class in election security at the Harvard Kennedy School right now, and one of the things we did early on is, listen, who do we have to trust to have a secure election? And the obvious one, the Secretary of State, the voting officials, the election machine makers. Like, who thought you have to trust the post office? But turns out they're on the list. So mail-in voting is interesting. So the reason we might not like it is because it allows for vote buying, right? I can hand you $10, you give me your signed ballot. I've bought your vote, right? That's a worry. That seems not to be a problem, but that, that is why we have the secret ballot, right? There is fear, and it's certainly in the 50s, that men would forcibly vote for their wives or their adult children living at home. So, you know, we have the voting booth, which are completely private. It turns out uh, that kind of vote buying doesn't happen. Again, I think if it happened at scale, it would be exposed. We would know about it. it you couldn't right. get away with right. it. And it, it, it is much more convenient. And so the uh, experiments. Especially in a pandemic. In, especially in a pandemic. But Oregon has been doing mail-in voting for, for years. And, and they find that it's easier people to vote, more people vote. Yeah, giving people options to vote is good. The worry in mail-in voting is that sometimes the rules are so convoluted, they're almost like a literacy test. Right? You have to, so generally you have a ballot, you fill it out, 
you put it in an envelope, seal it, maybe write something on the envelope, put the envelope in another envelope and seal it, and, and maybe sign something else. And if you do it wrong, your vote might not count, and you might not be told. Sometimes you are. I mean, I have a friend here in Minnesota tells a story of his daughter who voted by mail, gets a call like 5.30 p.m. on election day saying, we have your mail-in ballot. It's not right. It doesn't count. If you run down to your precinct, you can still vote. You've got an hour and a half left. All right. Better than nothing, but still kind of yikes. Mm -hmm. So you know, sometimes the rules are complicated. My parents uh, live in New York. My mother is convinced that her primary votes didn't count for her, her and my father because they filled out the, the – they did the envelopes wrong. In Pennsylvania, if there's a recount. You're going to learn about what they're going to call naked ballots, where it's just in one envelope, not in both envelopes. Do those count or do those not? Right? I mean, and that's going to be an argument. I, I want everyone to be able to vote, but you didn't follow the rules. Technically, your vote doesn't count. Virginia had some weird thing about you have to get a witness to sign it, but you didn't actually have to. I don't even know the story of that. Again, standardized national rules will help a lot here. Yeah, there was some talk about, you know, the witnessing. People are elderly. They can't go coronavirus. They can't go sure. knock on somebody's door and say, can you witness me standing here? You know, or wherever they have to go. So how did, how did you vote? How did you vote Massachusetts this, this year? Well, Massachusetts, we had, we had options. We had, uh, there's early voting. There's um, mail-in voting. And there's same-day voting. Right. So, so you have all three options. Yes. That's, what we have in, that's what we have in Minnesota. Which works very well. Um, so it went very smoothly. There's never been a problem. It's very decisive. And yeah, unfortunately, how smoothly it goes often depends on your socioeconomic status. You know, people in white middle class neighborhoods pretty much never wait in line to vote. People in poor minority communities can wait in line for hours. Well, Texas, yeah, and that's that's really sad. Well, Texas even took away the drop boxes. They only had right. I mean, drop yeah, boxes. making it harder to vote is a is a. a I mean, it's a Republican voter suppression tactic. It's very un-American. You, you have to understand it for what it is. For, for a party that says they're for America, they're doing everything. In, in, in a lot of ways, voter vote. registration is a suppression tactic. When you go to Japan, you don't register to vote. When you, when you turn the right age, I don't know what it is. Let's pretend it's 18. You automatically sent your voting card. Right? You know, there's no separate registration process. But what kind of nonsense is that? That is a holdover. And it is meant to be for to enable voter suppression. It is a holdover from the Jim Crow. Era. It is, you know, and I'd like to see a permanent bureaucracy in charge of accurate and secure voting. So, uh, elections Canada would be an example, right? That is a bureaucracy in Canada that administers elections. The UK has something similar. Japan does. Australia does. We don't. You know, we don't have, like the U.S. Census Bureau in charge of counting, a bureau in charge of elections. We should. But one of my concerns about that, if you can manipulate the post office from a federal level, couldn't you have a president that could undermine or manipulate that? So in, in a sense, you, you were always stuck with that. I mean, right now we had a president try to manipulate the census. So, yes, you are always stuck with those in power can manipulate the, the electoral system. And in a sense, there's no way to stop that. You know, we need enough checks and balances 
enough moral outrage, enough norms. And we seem to have gotten it. You know, even with all the problems, we did it, we did have a an accurate election. Now there's all the structural deficiencies. It's not enough for a candidate to get more votes than his opponent. Because we have some very archaic electoral college systems, you have to, you know, and and gerrymandering. You have to actually kind of cut right. You have to get more than, uh, you know, and, and that's why you can have in the United States minority government, and, and we do, and it's it's again uh, not democratic. Yeah, many times the unpopular person uh, won because of the electoral college, and not right. you know that may I mean, it recently, and this is something that that that's that sways Republicans, both and that's both electoral college, which means some votes count more than others, and and really suppresses uh, urban votes in very populous states. And then gerrymandering, where you can precisely design your districts. Which has happened mostly in Republican districts. Yeah, you know, Democrats do it too, but Republicans do it more. Yeah, you know, no one should be able to do it. Right? You yeah. know, districts should be drawn by, you know, party blind computers that, that don't know anything except how to draw lines and population numbers. I just made that up, right? You know, we can imagine ways to do this fairly that no one is, uh, that no one has an advantage. Now, uh, the Russians probably tried to hack this time. The you know, we don't know if they did. It's an interesting question. I, I'm, I'm not convinced they did because they didn't succeed and they didn't fail in a way that we noticed. That implies to me they didn't try, but it, we do not know that. What about the Iranians? What do you think? You think they tried this time? So, I don't know. I don't think so, actually. And I wonder if it is stuff that U.S. Cyber Command did. Right? There were those stories that seemed to have been attributed to Iran, but that felt weird, that voters were getting uh, threatening mail purporting to come from uh, the Proud Boys. So a fringe uh, uh, Republican-American group, Democrat supporters were getting mail. We also saw that people had Biden signs were getting threatening uh, letters. I mean, as, as election manipulation goes, it's kind of dorky. I mean, huh? <laughs> right? That's it. Really feels sort of amateur. Yeah. But you know, we don't know what happened and what was thwarted behind the scenes, and and I hesitate to guess. You know, so, it turns out U.S. Cyber Command is doing a pretty good job. Yeah, I think so. I I think it went rather smoothly, despite all the the claims of fraud and uh, um, wrongdoing by the administration. Now, whether uh, the new president-elect will take office, that's another story. That is, a, is another story, and I think he will. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, of, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I, 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 don't, I don't see how it will prevent the actual election results from, uh, from turning into reality. So what advice do you have for, um, you know, the voter who is concerned that their vote maybe didn't count or didn't count correctly. What advice do you have for the, those that man the infrastructures of our voting system? You know, so we voters have to make sure we vote, make sure we vote properly, learn the rules, and really push for more secure, accurate, and fair voting that enfranchises as many people as possible. And those are policy pushes. So we need to start demanding that. And election officials, I mean, they're doing they're you know they're doing a great job. They're doing the best job they can. You know, understand that some threats are are greater than you. 
and, and the more you, the more open you can be, the more, the, you know, sort of, the more you can just do your job and try to ignore the noise. I think the better you'll do. I mean, Pennsylvania was great at that. They just counted their ballots, and the press screamed, and Trump screamed, and the, I mean, I, I just it was great watching them. We're just going to count our ballots. Go away. We'll tell you when we're done. I thought they did a very good job. I thought they were very devoted to the task. They were. I mean, right. Arizona, Arizona too, Arizona. which took forever. Right. Georgia was just called, I think, today. Yeah. And, and, and so, so, right. I mean, and these are people doing their job and they are, they are dedicated to an accurate count. And unfortunately, some of those dedicated civil servants were getting death threats um, and doing their job. And that is, and that is terrible. Yes. So un-American. Is is there anything else that you would like to add before we close? I think this is good. Thank you very much for uh, grabbing this issue. It's important. I think it's very important. And uh, do you have any suggestions on whether we should go more paper ballot in the future? Of course. Right. I mean, two things we want: a voter verifiable paper ballot. Remember those four words, and a risk limiting audit. Those are the two things we need to demand. And that is that will secure our elections. That will help secure our elections. There's no panacea, but those two things are essential. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I want to thank our guest, Bruce Schneier, for sharing his insights and opinions on securing our voting systems. I also want to thank you, our viewers, for tuning in. For more information on today's topic and our guests, visit The Legal Edition online at thelegaledition.com. And remember, this information is for general educational purposes. It is not legal advice. And don't forget, subscribe online and download our podcasts. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter.